You are now tuned in to the Addicted to Success.com podcast, where geniuses, entrepreneurs, and next level game changers share their juicy little secrets on achieving massive success. This is the advice you wish you heard years ago. Be prepared and take note as we expose the realness and the raw of what it takes to be successful on Addicted to Success.com. Now, before we get into this interview, I have an exclusive opportunity for you that I'd love to bring to your attention. And that is I have just launched a six to 12 month mastermind called the Circle of Influence, where I'll be taking you under my wing to show you how to build a platform online that generates an income for you so you can have more freedom in your life. I'm also going to show you how to become a powerful influencer online so that you can score interviews and so you can get exposure on major publications and platforms. And I'm going to even show you how to build these platforms yourself, such as a website, podcast, a YouTube channel, and a social media following so that you can get your message out there to millions. I'm also going to show you how to network with other incredible leaders online so that you can interview them and so that you can collaborate with them and really show you how to refine your story so you can share it in an unforgettable way to score more interviews, to score book deals, and to gain more speaking opportunities so that you can become a powerhouse leader. Now, if this speaks to you, make sure you head over to IamJoelBrown.com slash apply and get in before I close my doors on this live interactive exclusive opportunity where I'm going to go deep with you and with the community of Circle of Influence Game Changers. Don't miss this. Now, let's get into this interview. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. I'm your host, Joel Brown, and I'm here today with an exciting guest, Jason Goldberg. Jason is a transformational leader, a very insightful uh, coach. He works with many up-and-coming leaders and teaches them how to be leaders in such an authentic way and powerful way. Jason is also a comedian slash uh, rapper slash author that wrote the book Prison Break. And, you know, more than anything, Jason has such an amazing heart. Uh, Jason and I have spent uh, many uh, memories and moments together uh, at A-Fest uh, with Mind Valley and, and hung out together in Sardinia, Italy and hung out together in Bali, Indonesia. And, uh, you know, he's always got this great energy about him. And, you know, I, I see the way that he interacts with people and he really truly cares and he cares for the growth of other human beings. And that's what makes him such a great coach and leader. So Jason, man, I'm, I'm so excited to jump in with you today. I know every time we have a talk, we end up cracking up and laughing about <laughs> something and having a good time. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Oh, me too, brother. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm honored. And, and everything you said, I can totally reflect back to you, man. You just have such a genuine heart, genuine spirit. From the first second I met you in Sardinia, I was like, that's my people. And, uh, and so any time spent with you is time well spent, brother. <laughs> Appreciate it, mate. Appreciate it. Awesome. So Jason, uh, you sent me your PDF and it's funny because we've had so many conversations about life and everything else. And you're like, so here's my thing that I, I give to my students. And so I've taken this other look, this other angle at what you're up to. And I was really blown away. The frameworks that you use, what you teach, uh, how you move people from inspiration into transformation. And I find it really actually interesting on how you uh, really teach your students how to uplevel their life. So just off the bat, man, obviously we're going to get into a part of your story along the way, but 
right off the bat, like what are you most excited about teaching right now? And what do you feel is like a really profound exercise or technique that you've implemented into your students' lives uh, recently to get amazing results? Yeah, man. I mean, what, what really lights me up is to see people lit up, right? Like it's actually, it's on the company values of our company, the Howard Thurman quote, which you've probably heard. And a lot of people have heard it's, it's the guiding quote and principle for my life and my business. And it's the quote that says, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive and go do more of that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. And so yes. for me, it's like anything that I can do to shift people to, to see their potential and to be fully lit up because dude, listen, and, and I don't, I'm not going to, I have a tendency to go off on tangents. I will go off on a tangent, but I want to share this really quickly with all the stuff going on in the world and people thinking the world is screwed and everything's terrible and everything's falling apart. All uh, that renews my passion to have people lit up in the world because people who are lit up about their lives don't want to hurt other people don't want to do bad stuff in the world. They only want to rise the, the consciousness and they want to rise the, the, the possibilities of everybody around them. So what I love to teach, whether it's in working with coaches or leaders, is I want to teach people how to get in touch with being lit up about their lives and their businesses. That's the thing I am the most passionate about doing in the world, man. Oh, I love that, man. I love that. And so what would you say is a, a great framework technique exercise that you bring people into that inspires them to be lit up? Because I think there's a lot of like information out there and I feel like there's so much information, but there's also so many confused people as to like, you know, how do I find my purpose? How do I stay motivated? How do I stay inspired? So what would you say to, to this? Because I think this is such a common question. It's huge. And, and so step one, I would say, if you're trying to find your purpose is stop looking, right? Because, and the reason I say that is because there's such a debilitating heaviness when you think you don't have a purpose and you should. Right. As soon as you think you should have something you don't have, immediately there's a gap between who you are and who you think you're supposed to be. And there's a constant identity crisis. Right. You can never possibly be happy in the moment because you're always in a space of lack. So step one, if you're looking for your purpose is stop. Right. And get present. Go from purpose to presence. Right. How can I really be in this moment and, and see what's showing up for me? So step one, get rid of purpose, step into presence. Step two, though, is really figuring out where your genius zone is. And a lot of people talk about this. And, you know, Gay Hendricks wrote an amazing book, uh, the, you know, The Big Leap about finding your zone of genius versus your zone of excellence and all that stuff. All that stuff is wonderful. But when I talk about my genius zone and, and, and when I teach my students about this, the genius zone is less about what you do and it's more about who you be right? Who you are in the world. And so the thing that I would have people do is step two is look back at all, all throughout your life, especially when you're a kid, look at what you were either praised for and got approval for, or, and this is the one people never do, the thing you got in trouble for, right? Because if you look at the thing you either got praised for or got in trouble for, you're going to find some golden thread of what lights you up in the world. So for me, I got in trouble all the time for being a class clown and talking too much. And that is exactly the thing that lights me up now is being able to teach people and be up there and perform and, and try to lighten people's lives up and try to, as Jim Carrey says, free them from concern for a little while. So if you can look back into your childhood and see what it was that you were either loved for and approved for or got in trouble for, you'll start finding some kind of inkling of truth that can guide you on what you do next. And so now I got to know, what's yours, dude? What's yours? What did you oh, get in trouble dude, for? That's, that's so funny. I, man, you know, my biggest thing was... I feel like there's a couple. Um, I, I rebelled heavily against the schooling system. Mm. Like I really felt like I was not meant to be there. And as a matter of fact, I put more of my energy into uh, 
injustice and was standing up for people in my, in my grade that were getting bullied. And ultimately I ended up getting bullied and I ended up uh, getting so shifted my focus from my schooling that I fell behind and I actually dropped out of high school. Uh, and so, you know, that, that like at the time felt like it was such a curse and I could have been the victim, but I, I turned it into me channeling my energy into my inspiration and, and creating, you know, a, a career for myself that I was proud for. But I didn't know that at the time, man. It's always like, you know, in retrospect, you see it and it's, oh, I, I can connect the dots now and it makes sense. Yeah. There's and that's perfect, right? <laughs> and that's perfect. And so you rebelled against the system because you were a stand for possibilities. You had the courage to rebel against the conditioning that everybody was telling you you needed to follow because you saw a grander picture. Funny, it kind of sounds like what you do for a living now, right? So, so it's, it's interesting how those dots can be connected. So, so really finding what it was that you got in trouble for and, 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 or, or what you got up and praised for, that, that can all work as well. And then, and then step three is really asking yourself, if I can get out of my own way, if I can get out of my own ego, right? Because one of the, the things that holds us back the most, in my opinion, and by the way, I am not any kind of sage on the stage. Anything that we talk about here are things that I have struggled with or, spoiler, still continue to struggle with in my own life. And so that's why I'm uniquely qualified to talk about it. But if we can shift out of ego and into service, right? If we can really wake up every day and ask ourselves, who can I serve today? doesn't matter if it's professionally. A lot of people I say that, you know, ask the question, who can I serve today? And they go, well, I'm a coach. So let me figure out who I can coach. No, no, no. Who can I serve today? A mother that's carrying a baby and a diaper bag over her shoulder and a tray with three coffees who's trying to get into a door. You open the door for them, you're providing service. And I really believe that wealth generation comes from profound service, right? So get out of purpose and into presence find your genius zone, the thing that you were either praised for or the thing you got in trouble for, and then shift into a sincere, purposeful, consistent practice of finding ways to be of service to any and everybody you come in contact with. Oh man, I love this. I love it. And I like that, you know, in the beginning there, it's, it's about like really fueling yourself and getting alignment in place. And then it's about serving others. Yes. Cause I feel like this whole, I don't know if you feel the same, like the word contribution impact, abundance. It's like so loosely used that it's like, we, who knows what that even means anymore. You've got to define it for yourself. Yes, absolutely. And, and, we, and it's so hard to do that when we have too much significance tied into our own self-importance, right? The Dalai Lama has said, every time I listen to any interview or read anything with him, he's always pointing back to this thing where if we lower our own self-significance, our own self-importance, big things happen. Right. And for me, actually, I actually dropped my gratitude practice. I used to have a gratitude practice. I'm done with it. I stopped it several months ago. And what I do instead now is I have a compassion practice. So when I wake up in the morning, I pick certain people. And some days you're in there, Joel, just so you know, in case you're ever feeling it, I wake up and I pick five or six people. And I go through this thing where I, I, I see them in my mind's eye. And I say that I hope something you really want to happen happens for you today. And I hope that any pain or suffering you're feeling is significantly reduced or completely eliminated before you go to sleep tonight. And that releases me from my own self-significance and self-importance. And it primes me to be of service to whoever I see for the rest of the day. Man, I love that. Yeah, it, it actually reminds me of, you know, I'm in prayer quite often and that's my practice. Prayer is like praying for others. It's appreciation. You know, it's gratitude as well for what I have in my life. Dude, I'd feel like that really brings you into to blessings for sure. Uh, when we do just make life all about us, man, it can come crumbling down on you so hard because, you know, we were talking about this just before we jumped on this interview that I have to admit that I've been running 
110 miles an hour, you know, yeah. and it's getting close to Christmas and we're just wrapping everything up for the business before the new year. And we do forget, you know, it's this whole game of like, oh, how do I have balance? Balance is spinning plates. Like that's not a, that's not a fun game to play. How do we create harmony in our life? Right? Like, cause everything's touching everything. So how do we get that flow going within our life so that there is that, like, you know, that steady growth rather than trying to burn ourselves out for the sake of getting something for a significance or, uh, you know, the, the fame or whatever it may be. And we live in a culture that absolutely stimulates that thought. And I think we're moving in the wrong direction, direction if we're going that way. Well, absolutely. And, and that's one of the things that I love about you and the way that you do your work. And, and, and it's the way that I, I always want to try to do my work as well, is that nothing that we offer, like your, your workshops, your seminars, your coaching, any of the things that I do, it's never because there's something missing from the person's identity we want to serve. It's not that you're not enough unless you come to my workshop. You're not enough unless you sign up for my coaching. It's assuming you're absolutely perfect. How fun would it be to level up even further? Right? How fun would it be to just see what else is possible for us? And when it comes from this place of like not transforming because we have to, but transforming because we get to, because like life would be super boring if we just stayed like this forever and like homeostasis and never did anything different. But there's a whole difference in how you approach transformation in, in your life. I, I'm being on either side of the transformation, whether as the coach or as the person receiving it, there's a huge difference in how you receive it when you think that you have to do this or you're not good enough versus I'm already perfect. They're, my spirit and my essence could not possibly get any better. And let's see what else I can create just for fun. I love this, man. This whole conversation around creation. Uh, I hear people quite often say, why is this happening to me? Mm. Why can't I do this? Or what if I, it's the question should be, what can I create now? Yes. In order to, in order to bring a change into my life. This is like meal, uh, Steenveld, who you know, business partner and I, we, are, we often are in conversations about creation. And then when we are coaching our clients, and I know you do too, when you have your students and clients in, it's how do you shift the perception? Because that's it is. It's like what they're looking at so often. It's what they keep. They get stuck in this loop, this rut, and it just becomes this downhill spiral uh, that really tears you into a place where, uh, you know, I feel like what happens then, like so many people get into that place and then they go, screw responsibility and they start moving into reward and they're just like taking drugs, alcohol, going out and just partying all the time. They're pushing the bills and the taxes away until it gets to the point where they crumble so much under that, that when responsibility comes in and it always does, man, it always comes into balance. And if you haven't been in practice of it, it will just dissolve you under it. And uh, it's, yeah, it's really interesting to see how people act in these moments where they're out of creation and in stagnation or destruction. It's really interesting. It's, it's so true, man. And, and I really believe, you know, one of the, I, I work a lot in distinctions. I love, I love this versus that, right? Because I don't want to have to pull out like a 20 step process to live my life and be happy, right? It's like, there's too much work and I'm not that smart. So I want something really, really simple that I can do. So I like a lot of distinctions, this versus that, that way in, in the moment, I just know what's going on. And as somebody who grew up with a lot of anger issues and a lot of depression and sadness, and you know this about my story, but I was heavy my entire life. And I had gotten up to 332 pounds in my late twenties, dude. I mean, I was, I was dying a slow death. I was like 40% body fat, which is like, you know, like a baby when it comes out of the womb. It's, you know, it's not something you shouldn't be that big. 
and I just had all these issues. And besides the physical weight that I was carrying around, there was all these other types of weight that had nothing to do with, with pounds or kilos or stone. And it was my emotional weight and, and my mental weight and financial weight, like worrying about money and just all these t- types of weight that I was carrying around. And it was all this self-imposed pressure that it was just, it was absolutely ruining my life. And until I really stepped into personal responsibility, really taking personal responsibility and seeing that everything that was being presented to me, it was just conditions of the game. It was just an an, an improv game. And I was being a crappy scene partner, right? Like in improv, the rule is yes and, right? I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but in improv games, you always say yes and. So somebody says something in a scene where it's not scripted, it's all improv, you never say no. Because if you say no, it ends the scene. You can't go anywhere from no. But yes and is the connector so you can keep creating. And what I was doing for the first 30 years of my life was being a crappy scene partner with the universe. And every time the universe would say something, I'd say no. And then everything stops and I wondered why life didn't get any better. So when I really started treating it like an improv game and saying yes and, and looking forward to, I I was looking, I started looking forward to being tested. Right. Like if, if somebody goes, I used to be big into cars. I don't know if you're ever into this, but like I was big into like souping up like, the, you know, uh, uh, foreign cars, like, you know, whatever, Hondas and all that crap. I was a little rice rocket guy. And and when we spend all this money, <laughs> when we spend all this money, you don't spend all this money on a car and put in a new exhaust system and, and nitrous and a turbocharger and all this stuff. You don't spend thirty thousand dollars souping up a car and then say, I'm going to go drive 20 miles an hour in a residential street because I don't want to I don't want to put any stress on the parts. It's no, you put these parts in the car purposefully so you can go see what the car is made of. And when we get into the place where we say, we look in the mirror every day and say, let's see what this puppy can do. I'm looking forward to being tested today. It puts us in a constant state of creativity and creation instead of being a reactor to what's going on in the world. Oh man. Wow. What is, what is this puppy uh, capable of doing? I love that. I I shared on another podcast. I think it's worth, reliving this because it's really important and and i love that you brought it there because uh there was a guy by the name of dr miles monroe incredible teacher he actually passed away back in 2015 and he he says like you know he likes to liken the uh, liken god as the manufacturer right and we're the product and he says it's like we're all like a car if we could use this as an analogy he said you know god's put 220 miles on the dash and what's happening is most people in life are cruising along at like 40 miles an hour and then someone comes flying past them at 50 miles an hour and you turn around and go, oh my gosh, how amazing is that person? Look at them, they're so you know, fast, they're so good at what they do. And little do you know that you've got 220 on the dash mm-hmm. but you're only going 40. And we do that so often, we discount our own potential and ability each and every day. And it was so cool that you stood there in front of the mirror and you're like, man, there's just so much more here. And you saw it. Like we were talking about this before the call that like you love this whole seeing your future self yeah. and behind you in the video, if you're listening to the audio right now in the video of this interview, uh, Jason has a DeLorean from uh, back to the future Two in there. And, and uh, I mean, I don't know why, why do you have that there, Jason? Why is it so important? I just, well, I just love it because there's something about time travel in and of itself that it, that that completely throws away any conditioning we have right it, it it's it's there's a level of possibilities in time travel that you get access to things that you shouldn't get access to on in this plane of existence 
And I believe the same thing is actually possible on this plane of existence. I think there are so many things that we don't know we're capable of until we put ourselves out there to see if we're capable of it. Now, most of the time this happens um, as a result of trauma, right? So that, you know, me with, with my, with being 330 pounds and losing over 130 pounds, despite the fact that I love bacon so much, um, but, but losing all that weight, that showed me that my human spirit was unbreakable. And no matter how sad or depressed or angry or even suicidal I was, I could come back from that. But I can't sit in a chair and theorize and conceptualize what I'm, what I'm capable of. I have to get out there and test the math. You know, there, there's this, this misconception that medical advancements and science advancements and technology advancements are all based on engineering and on math that's done on paper. But that's actually not what happens. There are no advancements in the world until we, until we take the math that's on paper and go test the math out in the world, right? So no advancement in the world has ever happened on paper. Testing what's on the paper is what's actually created the advancement. And so that's what I think is, is possible for all of us is, is to stop the, th this is one of my pet peeves in personal growth. Personal growth has become a lot of mental masturbation, right? And that's just, that's just what it is, dude. Like it's people, <laughs> they, they do, like it's, it's so, and it's so true. Like, and you see these people who say, you know what? I just, once, once I heal this trauma, I'm gonna go sit in the room for six months. And once I heal this trauma, then I'm going to start taking action in my life. And to me, that's like saying, once I have a six pack of abs, then I'll start going to the gym. Like that's, that's just not the way it works, right? You, you get into action now. And, and the, the analogy I always use back when I was a fat kid, I used to love cereal. Like I would eat cereal and milk all the time. I don't know if you were ever a cereal fan, dude, but like Lucky Charms and milk, yeah. like just super unhealthy. <laughs> and, one, and one day I asked myself, I was super curious. And this is like when I'm in my 20s because I was still eating this crap into my 20s. Um, when I was in my 20s, I sat there one day and I asked myself, who was the first person who thought about putting milk in cereal? Like, why? Why milk in cereal? Why not water in cereal? Why not orange juice in cereal? Like, why milk? Right. And I got really curious about this. But here's what people do in, in, in parallel to that. I had a thought in my head. I'm really curious about why people put milk in cereal. The metaphor or the analogy there or the parallel there is somebody having a thought in their head that says, I'm not good enough to do this thing. What if I fail? I'm not sure how this is all going to work out. So just let's say they're just innocent thoughts in our head. What I, if I were to sit there and say, well, I'm not touching the cereal. I'm not eating the cereal until I know why people put milk in it, right? That's the same as people saying, well, I'm not going to take action in the world until I know where all of this has come from. I have to know the why. I have to know all the root causes of everything before I can take any kind of inspired action. No, you eat the cereal while you're Googling why people put milk in cereal, right? So if it's really interesting and fun for you and you're curious about where your different, you know, traumas or fears or whatever come from, great, research that, get therapy, get coaching, do whatever. But, but don't let that stop you from starting to take some kind of action in the world. Because the more action you take exponentially, the faster you will actually heal the things that you think need to be healed before you can take action. It's a weird catch 22. But in my experience, that's how it happens, dude. Have you experienced that? Oh, dude, that's so funny. It's so funny. What, as you're saying this, and I'm also just remembering the other things you said earlier in the interview, it's kind of like how to take the negative parts of yourself and, and utilize it to, to make yourself amazing. Yes. It's, it's freaking insane. It's like, what were you really bad at? Or like, what would you rebel against? And what'd you get in trouble for? And then this here as well. Oh, I love it. Dude, I, and, and, that's, and I love what you just keyed in on because this is another principle that I really believe is that your disadvantage is your differentiator. 
right? Your disadvantage is your differentiator. And, and where that came to, to light for me was when I was in graduate school, when I was doing my master's in business, I started a company in partnership with NASA, with the space shuttle program here in the States. And so it was me and a group of four other guys in grad school, just five guys in grad school. We had no money, we had no backing, we had no credibility, we had nothing. And NASA came to my grad school and said, hey, we want you to pick five people to put into this project and we want you to do a marketing assessment to see if technology from the shuttle program has some use out in the world that we can sell to people, we can sell to private sector, we can sell to education, whatever. Just give us a PowerPoint that lets us know if there's any market feasibility. So we sat down as a team, there were two business guys on our team and three engineering guys, so I was one of the business guys. And we sat down and we, and we said, listen, we could do what they asked. We could do a market feasibility test or we can take our three engineers we have, prototype the technology ourselves, and go out and find them a buyer, right? Not just a PowerPoint, go out and find them a buyer. And that's what we did. And in four months, we were able to prototype and find them a buyer or a potential buyer that wanted to evaluate this technology. So we go back and we do our final presentation for them and, and it was great and they loved it. And then we told them at the end, hey, just so you know, we've prototyped this, we have a potential buyer for you and we would like to start a company in partnership with you where we get exclusive license to the three patents that we were researching so that only we can go out there in the world and sell it. And they said, well, uh, that's great. I mean, we would love to support, you know, grad students. It would look good for us as NASA to be supporting, you know, young entrepreneurs, things like that. But listen, we have another potential buyer who came to the table and they're a billion dollar semiconductor company. So I don't know that you guys can compete. And immediately I was crushed and I was like, well, how can we possibly compete with a, a billion dollar company when we're five guys in college? And so we sat down and just the five of us and, and, and one of our, our advisors, and we were kind of just talking about some stuff. And it occurred to me, I said, guys, wh why does it matter that they're a billion dollar company? And they said, well, I mean, they have all of this money that they can use for research. We don't have nearly as much money to put into research as they do. And I said, yes, they do have that as one of their differentiators, don't they? But you know what we have? We don't have competing projects. See, that billion dollar company has 20 different segments of, of, of companies inside that are fighting for those same dollars. And so if NASA sells to them, their project may get shelved because the money gets taken away to another project. And they say, yeah, but, but they have teams and teams of engineers that can, that can rapidly prototype this stuff. And I said, yeah, but that also means they have a lot of bureaucracy. They have a lot of red tape. We're a small team. We can decide today that we're going to change something and the change happens today. And they said, okay, fine. But they also have a bunch of relationships with other big companies and they sell all these other products. And I said, yeah, you're right. Which means all those other products are competing with NASA's product. We have no other products but NASA's product. We will do nothing but sell and focus on their product. And so the guys in the room were like, hmm, this, this might actually work. So we went back to the NASA guys and I laid out the entire thing. I said, here's what that billion dollar company has and let me tell you why that's actually a disadvantage to you and why that's an advantage to you to, to pick us instead. And they picked us and we got exclusive license to three patents from the shuttle program and beat out a billion dollar company because we were able to live in the space of our disadvantage is our differentiator. <laughs> Mate, you have lived a very colorful life. <laughs> and it's just getting started, brother. I know, right? The tip of the iceberg, rapper, comedian, host, speaker, coach, NASA, like all these like the entrepreneur. I mean, man, this is, and I love it because it's such a testament to how you, uh, you know, enter the, every space that I see you in is that you're just like, anything's possible here. Let's have fun with it. And that's the thing too, right? It's like, you've got to have fun on the road to success. And I just love this because you're like a mad freaking scientist in the lab of life, just testing, experimenting and making it happen. Thank you you have something in your, uh, in your book 
remember seeing it, something about the fetal entrepreneur uh, couch syndrome. So tell us about this. What does this mean? Yeah, I pronounce it feces, right? Because it, it feels like you're swimming in your own crap sometimes as an entrepreneur. <laughs> And so feces, or F-E-C-S, stands for fetal entrepreneur couch syndrome. Uh, symptoms include uh, laying on the couch in the fetal position, uh, being an entrepreneur, and crying like a little bitch because you feel like you're probably not cut out to be an entrepreneur. And, and the reason I know this is because I suffered from it. And, and I remember it was my first year of being a coach where I literally, my, my, my girlfriend at the time, uh, found me on the couch and I was scrolling on my phone and it wasn't Facebook. I was scrolling on my phone in the fetal position. And what I was doing was I was on career builder looking for jobs. And I just, I said, that's it. Yeah. I was like, I'm done. I can't do it. I'm not making any money. I'm working so hard. I'm putting so much pressure on myself and nothing's happening. And, and that's when it really occurred to me. And, and that's where everything started shifting for me. And it's a big part of now what I do in my work is I realized that I was living into the conditioning that I had to be serious to be successful. It's one of the biggest lies we've ever been sold in the world that we have to be serious to be successful. And I heard it time and time again. And if you ask yourself, everybody listening to this, ask yourself, how many times have you heard, if you were a serious entrepreneur, you would do this. If you ever want to get into a serious relationship, you better do that. You need to get serious about your health. All these things about being serious. And, and, and it's not good or bad, but for me, the word serious does not make me feel expansive or creative. It makes me feel constricted. It makes me feel pressure filled. It makes me feel heavy. And, and so then I happened to listen to a, uh, an audio by Alan Watts, who I'm a huge fan of. I just, I love Alan Watts, one of the greatest philosophers of our time. Uh, and he had this audio where he talked about the opposite of being serious is being sincere. And that was a big shift for me because I didn't want to be serious. But if you think about the opposite of serious, a lot of people think, oh, well, if I'm not serious, that means I don't care about my work. That means I'm aimless. That means I'm getting drunk and I'm partying or I'm sitting on the couch eating potato chips trying to manifest success. No, no, no. I want to be very sincere about my work. I want to be devoted. I want to be committed. I want to channel all of my love and my service and my integrity and my mastery and, and, and my presence and everything else into the work that I'm doing. But... I don't have to make it so serious. I don't have to make it so significant. And when I started practicing being sincere and playful, instead of being heavy and serious, everything started to change in my business. Oh, wow. And there's a difference. Remember before we talked about reward and responsibility. Mm. Now, that's the thing too. It's like, hey, how much am I partying having fun? You can bring that into your business. Yes. And still get results, right? If you do it in the right way, because I know, you know, with Emil and I, with Elevate that we're building out at the moment and even Addicted to Success, what, what I see is that like for the longest time when I first uh, began in my entrepreneurial journey with Addicted to Success, money was the motivation. But then when I made enough money to tell my pain in the ass boss it's costing me too much to be here, right? I realized that classic taste and feeling of freedom was what I really, truly wanted. Mm. And then, and then I didn't stop there. I had the freedom. And then I realized like, I kind of got, I kind of got bored with the like traveling everywhere around the world and sipping on mojitos and, and cocktails on tropical islands. And I realized it wasn't that it was, it was that it was the freedom to create, mm. to have a choice and have an option and to be able to express what I wanted to express without the stress of the financials and everything else. Then when I started hiring people and building the team, it started alleviating some pressures and I realized that I had more time to have fun and create and do the things that I truly wanted. 
Mm. And like, that's why, like for me, I'm so passionate about that, man. I like, I love coaching people, teaching them how to move to a space where they have more options in their life. And that's when you can start to bring fun into the business. And when you face your fear on a, on a consistent basis, you could turn your fear into fun. Like things I used to be scared of, I have fun with now. It's like you, I see when you get up on stage and you speak, like you and I still feel a bit of that nervousness. That's the unconscious trying to get us back into safety. But at the same time, we have fun with it. It's like the challenge of, hey, I'd love to get out on stage and not know what the hell I'm about to talk about. But let's like free flow, freestyle, improvise, like have fun with it and fun with the audience and engage and be in conversation rather than being so scared about Am I going to screw this up? Yeah, and it's and and you nailed something that's so so important that that I'd love to just talk about for a minute is that besides when I was talking about before that I had all this weight that I was carrying around that you know the the physical weight the emotional weight all these things that was the the W E I G H T weight that I was carrying around but there was a different kind of weight as well and it was the W A I T weight right I was waiting to do all these things I was so overweight in my life waiting to do all these things because I had all these fears about, well, if I leave my corporate job and I leave my six figure salary to be an entrepreneur, you know, I had connected my, my self-worth with my net worth. And so if I didn't have this job or this title or this identity, who would I be? And I'd be purposeless, right? Back to that in the very beginning, I, where's my purpose? And I, if I don't have a purpose, I'm worthless. And all these things started happening. And, and, and the, the, the metaphor that I, I finally got into, and I, and I go back to this anytime I'm launching something new, because it doesn't, I don't believe, maybe some people do, but I don't believe that like it ever goes away, that when you're launching something brand new into the world, whatever it is, whether it's, whether it's your poetry or it's a business, it doesn't just have to be for entrepreneurs. Maybe what you're quote launching into the world is asking your boss for a promotion or for a raise, like anything that you're creating in the form that is currently formless, you are going to have some kind of stress and anxiety around it. And so what I finally started realizing and and the visualization I have in my head that I would invite everybody here to to play with because it will allow you to lose the weight, W-A-I-T, almost instantly, is this, this concept of recognizing that whatever you do, it's not your only line in the play, right? And so in Prison Break, in my book, there's a chapter called It's Not Your Only Line in the Play. And the, the very basic premise is this. Imagine that you're in a stage show, like a, a stage production of a play. And you're off in the wings and you're waiting to come on stage and the play is going on and you have one line in this play. You have a pivotal line in this play. And if you do not deliver it with perfect timing and perfect diction and perfect emotion, you will tank the entire play and you will ruin your career and the career of every other actor in the play. As you're waiting on the side of the stage to come on stage and deliver your line, how do you think you feel? Do you feel creative and relaxed and joyful and grateful? No, you feel terrible, you feel constricted, you feel anxious, you feel sad, you feel heavy, you feel worried, you feel overwhelmed. And that's what we do to ourselves because we treat everything that we're doing in the world as if it's our only line in the play. Now, if you juxtapose that, if you contrast that with being the star of a play where you have lines literally on every single page of the play, then if you screw up a line, if you flub a line, is it gonna sting? Yes, it's totally gonna sting, your ego is gonna be a little bit hurt, but you have another line five seconds later, and then on the next page and the next page and the next page, and you're gonna do that show three times a day, four days a week for the next six weeks. So nobody gives a shit if you flub a single line. And when we start looking at it through the lens of, I'm gonna create limitless things in my life, the thing I'm creating now does not have to be the thing that I'm known for for the rest of my life, 
then again, I get back into relaxed, purposeful creativity. I get back into service. I can be a creator. And that's where amazing things come out. Yes, yes. And see, this is the thing that gets so many people in procrastination yeah. is that fear of being judged, which is aka fear of not being good enough. Like someone telling you, oh, that's nice, but it's not good enough. Yeah, right. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting uh, that you bring these points up, uh, Jason. I remember reading a study not long ago uh, where it was through a university. I can't remember which one. They, what they did was they uh, did a study with people that were working in a workplace and they were given the option to either have a pay raise or to have a title change. And most of them opted in to get a better title for their position rather than even in pay raise. Like sometimes in the beginning, like the start was like, oh, awesome, I have more money. But ultimately what they wanted was the, the better title. And, and then to go even deeper, what it was was to put it on, you know, their LinkedIn for the world to see. But also like, you know, when you're having a, you know, Christmas is coming up. So when you're having a Christmas dinner and, you know, your uncle or your auntie or your sister or whoever is like, oh, you know, how's work, which most people talk about when they meet each other in that awkward conversation. Oh, how's work going for you? It's, oh, yeah, I got promoted. Or, yeah, they've moved me to this position. It means you're like making your way up in the world. And it's so funny because it is so status driven. And, and wanting people to like you instead of actually like, it's like, I would rather people go, you know what? When I hung out with Joe, I felt like a freaking million bucks. Like that was so fun to hang out with that dude. And that's, that's what you do so well, Jason. And you, it's funny, as you were saying that, I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's exactly what I love about you. And, and that's such an important thing. And this is whether you're, you know, you're, you're building a personal brand or, and really a quote, personal brand is important for everybody, whether you're an employee or an entrepreneur, it doesn't matter. But one of the things I think is really, really important is to be able to increase what I call your Hoff, right? And your Hoff is your hangout factor right? So not Hoff like David Hasselhoff from Baywatch, the dude eating the burger all drunk yeah. on the floor, but, but your hangout factor. And this is not something you manufacture or, or that you, you create. It's something you uncover and you magnify. And so I think what's really important is to recognize, you know, a lot of people, especially people that are entrepreneurs or especially people that are coaches or online educators or speakers, we put so much stress on ourselves. I was obsessed with this in the beginning uh, of finding what it is we're going to be known for right? Like what's the thing? What's the thing I can like hang my hat on? And this is going to be the thing I'm known for forever. And again, for me, at least that puts so much pressure on me and I, I wasn't feeling creative. And then finally, through a series of events that, that, that happened to me and, and reflections and feedback I was getting from people when I was out in the world doing whatever I was doing, was I started realizing there was, there was a more effective way to approach life and a more effective way to approach building my business than being obsessed with what I was going to be known for. And it's this, it was instead focusing on what I was going to be known for activating in other people. What I was going to be known for giving permission for people to feel after an interaction with me. And so it's exactly what you just said. I want, and this is actually my business plan, my true business plan. If people say like, what do you do? Or like, what's your business plan? It's very, very simple for me. It's to leave everybody I meet with at least 5% more joy than I found them. That's it. That's my, and, and that can be coaching or speaking, it can be working at Starbucks. I don't care if I can leave everybody I meet with at least 5% more joy than I found them, then I feel that I'm quote on purpose. So that's something I would ask everybody that's listening to think about what's the thing that you activate in other people. Go ask them. Don't, don't do this as a theoretical thing. Go ask people in your world. Hey, listen, after we talk, how is your life different? How do you feel after an interaction with me? What kind of impact does just hanging out with me or being my client or being my friend or whatever, what effect does that have on you? The response you get from that person or from those people, do not take it lightly. 
That is your true differentiator in the world. That is the way you create competition-proof businesses. That is the way you make a real difference in the world is by taking whatever it is that you naturally bring out of other people, that you activate in them, that you give them permission to feel, and magnifying and amplifying the crap out of that in every interaction that you have with people in the world. Yes, and I love this asking people that you trust around you to give you that honest feedback. You know, and we obviously can take it with a grain of salt too. I think getting really familiar with who you are just seems to be this pattern, man. Uh, you know, I've interviewed hundreds of successful entrepreneurs and leaders, philanthropists in this world, and it seems to be that so many of them, like a good 90% of them, are able to articulate very clearly what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. Like they just have great self-awareness. Yes. And I think that if we started striving for that too, like getting to know yourself instead of getting to know Kim Kardashian or mm. getting to know, you know, like, oh, what's going on with this couple, you know, in Hollywood? It's like, who cares, right? Like get to know yourself first because there's value in that. There's so much value. It's, it's the number one thing. I truly, I'm a thousand percent agree with you. Self-awareness is everything. And it's, and it's, and it's not an ego thing. It's not, it's not a self-identification, self-importance kind of thing. It really will point you to how you can make the biggest difference in the world. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're a fan of Joel, then obviously you want to make a difference in the world. So if you want to live into that, if you want to be in integrity with what you say you want to build in the world, don't worry about all of the tactics and strategies and practices. Learn all that stuff. All that skill set stuff is amazing. But if you don't know who you are, if you don't know how you best show up in the world, if you don't know how you most effortlessly connect with people and make a difference in their lives, human to human, then none of the business stuff is going to work anyways. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the thing too, Jace, I'm sure you feel the same is that I'm not about creating followers. Mm. You've got enough of them already. Like yeah. really, like how many of your followers do you actually know? <laughs> yeah. You know, out of thousands and thousands on there, it's like how many have you actually interacted with? And then it's about creating leaders, right? And the ultimate level of inspiration is to show others what's possible through your own actions. It's a really loop that back around with what you said at the start was like, it's got to be tested. It's got to be the experience. It can't be theoretical. Uh, I, I wanted to jump in on the end of this interview with a couple more questions that I think are really uh, important. One of them is that uh, I know you have that book Prison Break that you've, you've written and put out there. And I'd love to know what do you feel is, is the most profound uh, chapter or point or concept in the Prison Break book that you'd love to share uh, with the listeners today? Yeah, you know, my, my favorite chapter in the book and the reason it's my favorite chapter is because it's the one that I have to revisit the most myself for reminders of, of you know, for when I have these issues is I have it. There's a chapter in the book called Your Intuition is Drunk. And, and the reasoning behind this your intuition is drunk thing is that there's a lot of talk about intuition and listening to your, your higher guidance and listening to, to whatever, whether it's God or spirit or, 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 or whatever it is for you. It doesn't matter. It's not a, it's not a religious thing. Uh, whatever that is for you. And, and what I've noticed is that uh, my level of consciousness, right, the, the level to which I am using more or less of my brain, because when we're in a low consciousness place and we're in a place of anger or sadness or, or despair or whatever, all it means is that we're actually not fully using our brains. Because when we are fully using our brains, we can't help but be in a high level state of love, of joy, of creativity, of compassion, of contribution. That's what, that's what separates us from animals, is that we have access to higher levels of consciousness that allow us to show up in these higher level energies. So the reason I love that book, so that, that chapter so much is because it's a beautiful reminder for me that if I'm ever feeling down, if I'm ever feeling stressed, there's nothing wrong. It just means that my intuition is drunk. And the reason I say that is because imagine you had a coach 
or a mentor or a family member or a friend that you always went to when you needed advice, right? That anytime you needed anything, they were there for you. They would drop everything for you. They always gave you sound advice. They always had your back. And one day you go to ask them a question and they are piss drunk. They are on the floor, spitting up on themselves, can barely stay awake. Would you ask them for advice about what to do with your life? Hell no. <laughs> of, course not. of course not. You would never do that. But that's what we do. Our intuitions get drunk. We're at a low level of consciousness. And we think that's the best time to ask ourselves what we should be doing with our lives. Oh. It's the worst time to do it. And what would we actually do? Think about this for real. Think about, again, a loved one, a friend, a mentor, a coach who always gives you great advice, always has your back. And you, you walk into their room to ask them a question and they're on the floor drunk. What would you actually do in that, that moment? You would get into such a place of compassion. You would say, oh my gosh, this person who's always there for me and always takes care of me, they need me to take care of them right now. I need to get rid of my own ego and what I think I need and I need to help them. I need to be there for them, right? And that's the analogy for us is to take time, to do some self-care, to allow ourselves to sober up. You can't force your intuition to be sober any quicker than you can force a drunk person to be sober. You have to just give it time. And then once it sobers up, then ask the question of what it is you need. Then ask for the advice and the inner wisdom that will guide you. But don't do it while your intuition's drunk. Oh, man, there's so much wisdom in that. Bro, I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life. I love that. What a great example. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for sharing. Yeah. Hey, bro, I, I can definitely agree with that. You know, I was heartbroken uh, maybe about a month and a half back. And then someone came to me for relationship advice. And I said, Honestly, I cannot answer this question at this time. I could give you a theoretical, but I know it's not going to come from the best place. <laughs> and I felt, and it was like, I, after that, I was, look, but I do know someone that's in a really good place right now. And I think that sometimes what we do is we do dish out advice and we're at the lowest point in certain areas, or we're just like going through a patch where we haven't quite made sense of it ourselves. It's like, I wouldn't want advice from a heartbroken person about a relationship. It's just not a good time to do it. Uh, so yeah, man, I love that you said this, this is so good. So it's good. Awesome. I'm going to take it over the rest of my life. Beautiful. So Jason, uh, where can we find you online? Uh, do you have any material out there that we can check out on YouTube? Uh, how do we follow you on social media? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm, I'm big on Facebook and Instagram on Instagram. I'm, I'm the Jason Goldberg, like the, because Jason Goldberg was taken. So I was like, how can I get really pretentious? How about the Jason Goldberg? So, <laughs> so follow me there on Instagram. And if you go to becompetitionproof.com, that's B E B competitionproof.com. Uh, you can download the book that, uh, that Joel was talking about how to build a competition proof coaching business. And you can also join my Facebook group there. I do, uh, I do Facebook lives almost every single day where I'm really dropping like a lot of wisdom and a lot of training for the people in the group. And that's the only place that content lives and it's been super valuable and super fun. Like people tend to have a lot of fun in there. And, uh, and also Joel, I'll give you a special link just for your, uh, just for your listeners and your viewers. If they want to get a free copy of prison break as well, a digital audio or paperback version for free. So I'll give you that as well. If you want to share with your audience. Amazing brother. Amazing. So guys, make sure you reach out to Jason. He's definitely approachable. Uh, Jason also, you know, out of all the coaches that I know, like this guy really is, it embodies so many good principles. And, you know, I think that like, even for myself, when I'm looking for a mentor, I'm not just looking for the guy that makes millions of dollars. I'm looking for the guy that has, you know, great friendships that has, you know, a loving relationship with his partner and, and, and children. I'm looking for the guy that knows how to have fun too. And, you know, this is what you need to look for in a mentor. And Jason just has so many amazing principles and also gets amazing results. So please reach out to him, connect with him. 
And uh, if you have any questions, reach out to me too about this episode. And uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's get Jason on your radar because he's got some amazing things and he's on the come up right now. I'm surprised he's not even getting as much exposure that he deserves. So Jason, thanks so much for jumping in and stealing your wisdom in the Addicted to Success audience today, man. Appreciate you. Dude, my pleasure. I'm so honored. Love you, brother. And thanks for letting me play with you today, man. You're welcome, man. Now we're going to end this interview with the last question. All right. All right. The last question is, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? Ooh. Oh God. I love that. Okay. So the last 30 seconds would be, uh, your spirit is unfucking breakable. There is nothing that you have been through that you haven't gotten through because you're listening to this 30 seconds right now. So know that if you focus on your creativity, your resourcefulness, and your resilience, even half as much as you focused on your perceived shortcomings and limitations, you would live a limitless life of possibility and prosperity.